Hi, it's Tony Kornheiser. The podcast is coming up in just a moment, but the sales weasels have got some sponsorships up front. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I thought the chicken was good. Harvey said the chicken was good, but who knows? Again, if he's dead today from chicken poisoning, yeah. then I've, I've, I made a mistake. <laughs> but yes. now how closely did you watch? Did you make sure he was enjoying it before you tucked into your own? Or Yeah, he took the first bite and said, it's juicy, it's wonderful, it's done well. He's going to say all this. He's a, he's a professional administrator. This is what he does. Yeah. He asks everybody for money. He's got to butter you up before he asks you for money. Yeah, did did we the... get to estate planning last night? Or it was, is that a, it was a slight mention. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Not only was there a slight mention, there were a couple of follow-up emails from other yeah. people at Binghamton University. A couple of promises. Yeah. How you doing? You got money for us? Works better for you if you give it to us now. From Jim Berry in Woodbine, Maryland. Uh, dear esteemed alumnus, as a gesture of appreciation for your continued support of Binghamton University, please enclose, please accept the enclosed gifts of a keychain and a pair of socks <laughs> that were commissioned to honor our late university president. As you may be aware, Dr. Stenger recently had an adverse grilled chicken experience. Please also be assured that contrary to a scurrilous internet roamer, the internet, the authorities have not, have traced a server, have, wait a second. Contrary to a scurrilous internet rumor that authorities have traced this to a server on the campus of Stony Brook, Dr. Stenger's final words were not, why is it always the chicken? We invite you to use any of the payment methods listed below to assist with the launch of a memorial scholarship fund. From Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi, did Harvey Stenger write you a check for the three grand fee for you to grill for him? Or did he have to go and get change from a male stripper? And from Shad... A haiku, Binghamton tumblers, beautiful evening, and no chicken poisoning. Harvey continues to write me, so I assume he's alive. Yes. And that he liked the chicken. Um, so last night, I watched the Nats until the football game came on. Uh, and, and I watched long enough to see Jake Irvin basically get a ticket to the minor leagues. Right? Two and a third innings, 80 pitches, Seven hits, five earned. Now, he's facing the best team in the majors. Yeah, that's the adjust that you have to account yeah, for. Yeah, the Atlanta Braves are the best team in the majors. So, and Jake Irvin just sat there on the bench. He was really disgusted. He's had some very good starts. Yeah. This was not a good start at all. Nats get rocked early. And then I went over to the football to listen to Uncle Big Al for a while. I had said on television, and this is, we did this story yesterday about the game did did the giants have a good chance a little chance or no chance and wilbon said as i thought he would say well you get a puncher's chance right you have a little chance and i said they have no chance <laughs> no chance right and i said here's how i arrive at this the first good team they played with the cowboys who beat them 40 to nothing it's an unheard of score for a playoff team from last year 40 to nothing. Yeah, it's just shocking. unbelievable. Yes. The second game, they played a bad team, Arizona, and they needed to have the greatest comeback in franchise history in order to win the game. And now they're playing a good team again on the road in a short week without their best player, Saquon Barkley. So they have no chance. I said the spread is 10. They're not going to come within 10. They're not going to come within 12. So thankfully, San Francisco covered late because I had gone to sleep by then. <laughs> They were not. They got ten points in the last quarter. 
It was 20 to 12 before that. They were going to cover. Giants were going to cover. I was going to look like a dope. But I don't look like a dope. <laughs> no, you know, I don't look like a no, dope. No, you got that one. I got it right. So I'm happy about that. Um, we have had on PTI this week, we have had a sort of a rocky week that you would never know about. You know, because the, the show is fine. But two or three times this week, we've had to dump stories pretty late. We've had sort of the wrong idea on the stories. News has come up. The other day... We were doing a Justin Fields story, um, and the basis of the story was that Justin Fields had, had, because I saw him, blame the coaches on the Bears for his bad play. And Wilbon in the original thing started screaming, I don't care what he said, it is the coach's fault. <laughs> oh, and, but then very late, um, after we had already taped the first segment, Justin Fields was quoted as saying, it's my fault. Because let me just explain to you what happened. What happened was very simple. Somebody got to Justin Fields and said, this is a very bad look. You have no statistics this year, and you're blaming the coaches. You know, why don't you take the blame yourself? This is what happened to Zach Wilson last year with the Jets. Yes. When he had this terrible game, and the guys on the defense were saying, well, the offense could help us out a little bit. And Zach Wilson was asked, is anything wrong with the offense? He goes, no, no. And then he was benched after that. And he was ripped in the New York papers for having, you know, no sense of the room whatsoever and taking no responsibility. And I said in the first segment, this is what's, and the second segment I said this, this is what's going to happen to Justin Fields. He's going to get ripped in Chicago. So when he turns the story around, for me, it becomes a timeline story more than anything else. But we had to do all of that stuff over. And I, it was actually better. Yes. It was a better version, I thought. We had to dump a story that day. We had, a, we had sort of a misinterpretation of a story on Deion Sanders. We can't, do it. we can't go a day without Deion Sanders, obviously. <laughs> we had a sort of a misinterpretation of a story written about Deion Sanders, so we dumped that story, put in another story. Yesterday, late, pretty late, like our show is pretty much set by 4 o'clock. I mean, we sort of know what we're going to do by 4 o'clock. After 4, 4.15, 4.30, maybe something like that. The story came in that Trayvon Diggs had torn his ACL in practice for the Cowboys, his starting defensive back, very good defensive back, brother of Stephon Diggs. So I was asked, well, what do you think we ought to do with that? And I said, well, put it in trails. You know, trails, he's out. And wiser heads prevailed, actually. Uh, Matt and Eric prevailed, and they said, no, we're going to lead with it. We're going to lead with it. We're just going to remake the show. We're going to lead with this. And it was interesting to me. They were giving me information. I said, I don't want any more information. I have enough information. I know what I'm going to say about this. And it actually worked out well because Wilbon went small picture. Wilbon went, this is what happens when you lose an important starting player. And he talked about the Bears in 85 because he loves the Bears, how they lost two starters over the course of the season. They were still the best defense of all time. And he said how this would affect the Cowboys and so on and so forth. And I was good because I was going to go big picture. Because to me, the story was, we played two games. There are 15 to go. And people are worried about the Super Bowl chances of the Cowboys. And I said, this is where we are, kids. The Cowboys are the most important, most publicized, most valuable team in sports. And on a, on a week when they're 2-0, and 
when they've beaten two teams by a total of 60 points, 70 to 10, everybody out there who loves the Cowboys is, is screaming about Super Bowl chances. And they are the most hyped team anyway. Yes. I mean, first take spent two years. Would Dak Prescott get his money? <laughs> two years on this. Day after day after day after day. I admired it. <laughs> we wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know. So the Cowboys are in the process of fulfilling everybody's fantasy. The people that hate them are glad. They can't wait for Dak Prescott to get knocked out of the game. They'd be happy if Jerry Jones broke his legs. <laughs> the ones who hate the Cowboys. Yeah. The ones that love the Cowboys. And there are more of them. They are the most important team in America. Much more so than the Yankees or any team you can name. Much more so. They're delighted. They're enraptured. They're going wild. And something like this happens. And it's just fodder for all of these people who either love or hate the Cowboys. So I went big picture. And I mean, I thought that worked. I, I thought that worked. And once again, I wrote notes to Kelleher after the show, say, you made the right call. I would have made the wrong one. And that's why you're producing the show. That's why I'm just sort of sitting on it. <laughs> you know, I would have made the wrong call. And it was the right call. So that's, it's been that kind of week. I don't know if it'll be that kind of day today. I hope not. No, it's oh, it's easy. Yeah, it's been chaotic, but but it's fun to see the ship turn around, you know, midstream. Isn't it? Yeah, Isn't it really it? is. Yeah. I mean, Mike and I know how to do this. Yes. It's been a long time. We'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, Jason? That's right, Jason. Jason Lock and Fork can talk about football with us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called the Rat Boys. I don't know that I love that name, Rat Boys, but uh, it's a good band. Yes. We get a letter from Julia Steiner who says, I play in a Chicago-based band called Rat Boys. Back in December of 2020, we were lucky enough to have a couple of our songs featured on the show. Subsequently, we experienced a significant bump in friends of ours saying, I heard you on the Tony Kornheiser show. Couldn't ask for more. I'm emailing again with some new music from an album that we put out a few weeks ago called The Window including a song called Morning Zoo, This Is Morning Zoo, which gets its name from the colloquial name for zany early morning radio programming. And the next song you'll hear later is called The Window. Um, we will be, the Rat Boys, we will be in D.C. this weekend playing two nights at a venue called Songbird, which I'm unfamiliar with, Songbird, Saturday, September 23rd, Sunday, September 24th. So I past the capital, like okay. sort of that region. I know that since we're not on a golf course, it might be hard to convince Tony to venture out to the show, but if Nigel and Michael 
would like to come out, I'd be happy to put you both on the guest list for either night. I'm going to try and go. I'm actually going to try and go. I would love to see these guys. Again, this is called Morning Zoo by the Rat Boys. It plays in Jason LaConfora. Normally, I would ask Jason on a Friday about the Thursday night game, and I will eventually. But I think the larger news is probably the Trayvon Diggs injury on Dallas, right? That's bigger news? Um, yeah, I, I think probably, and it, it's certainly significant, and I think it's a factor that when we get, oh, geez, Tone, I don't know, three months from now, and we're kind of in the nitty-gritty, and we're looking at who we think can win a Super Bowl, and if they can't, why can't they? You know, then I think this certainly factors in then. I think if you look at the Dallas Cowboys from week to week, um, and when they're facing teams that are about as talented as they are or less talented, they're, they they excel at punching down, and they they don't you know they'll win the games they're supposed to win, and they're built in a way with the you know the defense that can attack and really kind of just obliterate lesser quarterbacks and their ability to stay balanced on offense. You know, like I, it, I, I don't know that when they're facing most teams in the NFC, you know, it's it's going to be a talking point throughout the game, and it's going to be like, oh, man, if they had digs here, if they had digs there. But when it comes to them doing something they haven't done, and, man, it feels like forever, which is win a game you're not sure that they have yeah. the talent to win or win a game in which, boy, they got to go into, you know, whatever. It kinda, I feel like, it, you know, it kind of used to be, Green Bay, I don't know, if we want to say San Francisco, if we want to say Philadelphia, you know, in the in the divisional round and, and beat somebody who is favored to beat them, can they do it? You know, this is a big factor there as to why they may not be able to do something that they seemingly haven't been able to do for whatever. I, I think his presence gives Dan Quinn a lot of uh, liberty calling a game to kind of shed his skin and not just sit back and play, you know, cover three and do the old Pete Carroll thing from Seattle, but to mix it up, to attack a little differently. I think part of the reasons why Michael Parsons can be so free to do a bunch of different things is because Dan Quinn feels like he's got a corner who on his day can eliminate the other team's best receiver. Like if if he had to travel with that guy, could he? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we'd be fairly comfortable letting that happen for at least a portion of the game if we had to. And that comfort level, I can't fathom exists with with any other defensive back on that team. So it's big. I I don't think it's going to derail them from winning their whatever it's going to end up being, 12 games, 13 games. Uh, But can they beat an elite quarterback on the road, um, it's going to be tougher. Yeah. Um, San Francisco is one of those teams. I don't know that they have an elite quarterback, but they're one of those teams. They have an elite, varied offense. What, if anything, did we learn last night from that game? Oh, boy. Let's see. Um, I don't think a whole lot. I mean, week three, Thursday night, Kyle Shanahan take took the long view. I mean, if you go and look at when McCaffrey touched the ball, you know, he, he kind of touched the ball on critical second and longs. He touched the ball on third downs. He touched the ball in the red zone. But they were okay, you know, letting other people kind of do the job and the grunt work between the 20s, which makes sense. I mean, there were sequences where, you know, I think Mitchell was, was on the field five, six, seven 
straight snaps while McCaffrey was, you know, protected on the sideline, which which makes sense. Um, you know, I, I think we, we saw that even on a, a night where they didn't have uh, Ayuk, who's off to a heck of a start, that there's, you know, anybody could be the star for any given drive there in any given game. But I, I think we kind of already knew that. Um, you know, the Giants were not in a position to threaten them offensively at mm-hmm. all. It, it's been a very tepid unit to to start with, and then you take out a couple of offensive linemen and Saquon Barkley, you know, and then San Francisco inevitably gets the two-score lead, and, and so it, it really kind of becomes an exercise in just playing out the game. Um, I, I don't know that we learned a heck of a lot. You know, I, Brock Purdy made a couple of throws where you're like, I you know that's what the hype's about, especially the final touchdown throw. I mean, boy, that was master class. But like he he also, I, I don't know, I don't know how you, you know, like I know PFF tries to quantify sort of luck and good fortune, you know, and turnover worthy plays that someone was involved in or someone was sort of the culprit in, and and boy, his numbers way up there. But it tends to still end up on the ground or in his receiver's hands. You know, when balls get tipped up in certain quadrants of the field, I think if you study it, the rate of the interception, the rate of a turnover should soar. It should spike. It doesn't with this kid. You know, it it just it seems like he gets away with it. Or not only does he get away with it, he gets a completion out of it. And in, in, in many instances, a first down. I, I don't know if that's just who he is. Does he have some pixie dust? You know, will that regress at some point in time? I mean, the, the deeper we get into this, and we're about a half season into it with him now, and it still doesn't really come back to bite him, and he still doesn't have two and three turnover days when you think he might. You know, he fumbled snaps, whatever. He seems to, to have a bit of a leprechaun thing going on. Uh, I don't know if that's just who he is. Um, but they're a really good football team. They're a good operation, and, the, you know, they're going to win a lot of football games. I, I I don't know that we found out anything about what Brock Purdy would look like, right. you know, in the postseason out of this matchup. But I am I do kind of marvel at the fact that the ball tends to bounce his way. Brock Purdy was the last player taken in the draft. Now he had quarterbacked four seasons, and mm-hmm. he, you know, and he had a lot of college experience, but he was the last person taken. It matters what team you end up with. Ben Roethlisberger's career was so well sculpted because he ended up with the Steelers and as a rookie had the Steelers in front of him. Yes. This leads me to Bryce Young, who was the first pick overall. Carolina traded up to get him. Mm -hmm. He has stunk so far. He's probably not going to play this Sunday, it is not only a steep yeah. learning curve, but it's so much harder when you're on a lousy team, right? It is. Um, there's, there's no doubt about it. Now, I also think, though, like, if you're going to err one way or the other, you probably should err on the side of the long view, right, and, on, mm-hmm. and playing the long game, and therefore trying to kind of bleed him in gently and be careful how much you ask him to do. And Frank Reich has been decidedly in that camp, even more so than I thought he would, and he's a pretty conservative guy by nature. They're not asking him to push the ball down the field at all. They're, they're not asking him to do anything that's super complicated. You know, when it's time for a grunt play, here comes Andy Dalton. Um, 
they don't want him getting beat up in the red zone for one yard to try to, you know, keep a drive alive. That, let's face it, isn't really going to win that game for them. Anyway, um, they've got a lot of work to do to build the offensive cast around him. It's clear their defense is ahead of their offense from a talent standpoint. And then now, you know, with him kind of rolling that ankle, twisting that ankle a little bit last week, you're right. I'd be shocked if they play him because they're being super cautious with him, which I understand. Uh, it makes them a bit of a tough watch. There's there's no yeah. two ways about that. Yeah. Um, I like the kid Hubbard quite a bit. I think he fits this offense really well, and he can give them explosion and, and turn a little check down underneath into something more. I, I suspect he sees more of the ball as we move forward. Um but yeah, I, I I think everybody there understands that even in that watered down division, the odds of them being you know playing super meaningful football games this year are not real high. So they're they're going to keep him under wraps. They're going to keep you know substantial guardrails there in terms of what they ask him to do and what they feel like they. Um, make him susceptible to in, in terms of injury as much as you can mitigate that stuff. And it's about seeing what he looks like in January versus, you know, September. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Troy Aikman won one game as a rookie and ends yeah. up in the Hall of Fame. So it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. I'll get you out of here on this question. What is the deal with Justin Fields? I mean, you know, Wilbon well, you says about... he's great and Wilbon says that the Bears yeah. were going to win the division. They're a mess. Uh, look, you just you you in setting up Bryce Young. I thought you were setting up Justin Fields, no. um, because it's not you know just who you are and what you can do. It's it's you know where do you land with what village selects you? Um, he got selected by a village of idiots, <laughs> and they've been a village of idiots for <laughs> decades. And I have no reason to believe they will be anything but a village of idiots for the foreseeable future until proven otherwise. And they're so far away from that, that um, if, if, if you continue to fade the Bears, especially as they become some sort of a quasi-sexy public team, for God knows why, um, then you'll make some money off of them. So at least make some money off their futility and failure and inability to even, you know, come within a country mile of, of being uh, a, a professional sports operation uh ownership is is a farce is a joke is is fraudulent to the bone uh they have been ill-equipped to identify the right people to run their football team and or uh, empower them sufficiently forever um you look at how they spend in a market like that versus what you think they might spend if they were really trying to win every year and oh boy there's a dichotomy there um you know, the, Justin Fields showed things last year that led to some of this hype, which included building an offense that allowed his legs to feature. Using that to then set up deep passes and explosive quick strikes, you know, with play action on some early downs, um, it, it involved kind of meeting him halfway and leaning in to what he does well. They have decided to, to tie one leg and one arm behind his back. God knows why. I, I don't know if it's because they don't really want him and they just want to move on to the next quarterback and they figure that feckless family will let them keep their jobs anyway. I, I don't know. But when you go 
and cut his number of design runs by more than half. When when you take the the number of plays you're calling for him to push the ball downfield 20 yards or more, which again was something that started to look like it could be a key component of their offense, and, and you cut it in half, when when you've got coordinators leaving the building in the middle of the week and we don't know why, you know, when you've got a head coach in place who's given you zero empirical evidence, zero, that he is in fact equipped to be an NFL head coach, period, let alone a good one, then, you know, we, we can talk about Justin Fields all you want, but Justin Fields isn't the jackass and the Bobo who said, let's go from throwing the ball 10 yards downfield 40% of the time to 19. He's not the jackass and the Bobo and the collection of overpaid fools who said, yeah, go and play action more than a third of the time last year worked for us. Let's see what it looks like if we do it 10%. Let's try that. Because we're... They're, he's not the one. And I don't know if you have to bleep that out or whatever. Yeah, I don't we know will. how don't that works. Yeah. Right? But he's not the one who's saying, hey... We ran stuff outside the pocket 38% of the time last year, and some of that stuff was the most effective stuff we do. Let's try it 19 and hang the kid out to dry and let everybody bitch and moan about him while we sit up there and try to figure out who's going to call plays for our defense this week. And, you know, are we still going to be here when they build that fancy new stadium? And let's, let's put it on him. Let's put it on the 20-whatever-year-old and, and try to get some of the heat off of us Meanwhile, our house has never been in order. Uh, all right. All right. Let's talk about Justin Fields. Wonderful. You can hear this on Jason's <laughs> radio show. Jason, plug your radio show. Yeah. I would have, somebody would have had to hit the dump button there. No, uh, yeah, we you did. You can listen to me rant and rave from 2 to 6 weekdays on Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. You can check us out at 105.7 The Fan. Dot com or on the Odyssey app. Uh, you can check me out Sunday mornings from 8 to 11 on Twitch and YouTube and the BetQL network on uh, BetMGM Game Day, getting you prepped uh, for all the bets you uh, may want to make on week three. Uh, and also check me out throughout the week on CBS HQ, uh, CBS Sports HQ and CBS Sportsline also talking gambling. We're going to take everything you said about Justin Fields and we're going to send it to Will Bond in an hour. <laughs> and it's going to make Will Bond so happy because he agrees with all of that. Thank you, Jason. You got it, gentlemen. Jason Lockenford. Have a wonderful weekend. He's the Don't. best. He's yes. the best. We'll take a break. Jeff Ma will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. One more time. These are the Rat Boys. This is a song called The Window. You can see them in Washington, D.C. tomorrow night and Sunday at Songbird, S-O-N-G-B-Y-R-D. Songbird, the Rat Boys. They're really quite good. They are. Michael, if people like the Rat Boys want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Jeff Ma joins us now. Carville took the week off in terms of joining us. But let me just give Carville's picks. And I hope Jeff is laughing when we hear these. Carville had a pretty good week. Um, He got to 8-8 last week, you know. And uh, he did pretty well. He was 3-3 last week. He's got Cincinnati plus 14 and a half at home 
against Oklahoma. He's got Wyoming minus two and a half at home versus Appalachian State. He's got Oregon State minus two and a half at Washington State. And those teams are better than you thought. The Pac-12 teams are better than people thought. In the pros, he's got New England minus two and a half at the Jets. The Jets may be in disarray. He's got Indianapolis plus eight and a half at Baltimore. You know, I shake my head at that one. I mean, I don't know if Richardson's even going to play. I think Baltimore's pretty good, so I don't know about that. He's got the over on the Broncos and the Dolphins, over 47.5, and he's got the under on the Bears and the Chiefs, under 48.5, and we turn to Jeff. And before we get Jeff's picks, I watched something happen on Sunday that, that, you know, that was a jaw-dropping moment for me. The Rams, who were an eight-point underdog, were down by 10 points to San Francisco. It was very, very late in the game. There was only three seconds left or four seconds left. The people doing the game had said, hey, you know, a field goal is going to take all this time. They're not even going to be able to try an onside kick from which they would have to recover and actually score in order to win the game. And they kicked the field goal. And they went from 10 down. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they went, they went from 10 down to 7 down. They changed the yeah. bet. Yeah. They changed the bet. You know the particulars of this more than I. Did, did you have any particular reaction to that? Did people in the gambling community have any particular reaction to that? I mean, obviously people in the gambling community had a lot of reaction to that because it was a really big outcome for people but i mean this kind of stuff happens a lot and i don't know if you saw mcveigh's explanation because now that gambling is so much in the mainstream people feel comfortable with asking people these questions and saying were you aware of this yeah and the reality so what he has said and i actually really believe what he said which was that in his mind he was basically because i was watching this game live and i said they need to kick a field goal quickly. And they threw the, the pass to Nakua, and it took longer than he said he thought it would take. And at that point, he had already kind of decided to do the field goal. He didn't want to do a Hail Mary with Stafford, worried about the injury for Stafford. You know, the alternatives there are take a knee and just call the game over, kick the field goal, you know, throw the Hail Mary. And at that point, you know, I, I, I don't really have an issue with it. Now, what's interesting is in college, there's been this sort of notion that, that coaches will try to cover for their boosters for quite some time. Oh. People have said this, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. There was, there was a game earlier in the week where, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't go for they, – they scored to go up by 12 with four and a half minutes left. And they could have taken a two-point conversion to go up by 14. And that line was closed anywhere from six to seven. And they didn't, right? And they, they decided to kick a field, uh, an extra point instead, which made no sense to me or to anyone. Um, and that is largely going overlooked. But that was a decision that significantly impacted this point spread. So I think these things happen all the time. This one just happened like right at the last minute. So yeah. everyone walks in. There was a lot of scrutiny around it. Yeah. But I, I do think it was just the course of the game. That's interesting. I mean, if John, if Sean McVay had said something like, I'm not coaching on the point spread. I don't care about the point spread. I'm coaching my team. I got 
15 games left to go. I want to make sure my kicker can do this, or I want to see if maybe we can beat the clock and put ourselves in some other situation. I'm, I'm fine with explanations like that. But with the emphasis now on gambling and with all the leagues having partners who gamble, these things, you know, they, they pop up and they get your attention, right? They do. But, but I'm going to ask you, like, let's say he's coaching for the point spread at that point. Like, what does it matter? He's not going to win the game, so what does it matter? Well, I just think if he talked about the point spread, I think that he would be under a certain amount of scrutiny that, uh, that would be almost essentially 100% negative. And I think the league would probably come down on him, and the league would say, you know, that's, we're, we're not dealing with that. We can't believe, because if you do that, then there is the possibility that in the future or in the past, you would have had a bet on there yourself or your friends would have, right? Wouldn't they say that? I mean, I kind of feel like that's pretty hypocritical, though, at the end of the day, right? Right. right. Because these leagues are making a lot of money off of the gambling of the yep. point spread straw. So it's like, how can they look themselves in the face and like say, like, okay, we're, gonna, we're fine with people caring about this game because of the point spreads and the betting, but yet, a coach that says, "Like honestly, I was just doing this for the point spread," <laughs> it, 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 it seems pretty disingenuous. Would be so fabulous if he said that. I was aware of the point spread and I wanted to fool around, so I did it. That'd just be great. That'd just be so great. All right, what do you got yeah. for us this week? Uh, we're gonna take a, a few NFL games. We're gonna take Green Bay minus the one and a half over New Orleans. Obviously, Green Bay lost the game that they may have won if. Aaron Rodgers was their quarterback last yes. week. Um, yes. But this line, to me, is too short at home against the New Orleans team that's 2-0, but is not very good. Not very good. What, what line did you have in that, Jeff? One and a half. I have okay. one and a half. Yeah. What do you I guess? No, it was one and a half. I, couldn't, I didn't know if you'd said one. Okay, one go ahead. Yeah. Okay, in interest of full disclosure, we just lost Jeff Ma for a little while. But now we've reconnected and got him. We heard the bet, Green Bay minus one and a half, New Orleans. We always try to tell you exactly what goes on here, except when we don't want to. But this is a case <laughs> where we want to. It's fine. You know, so I'm going to do it. All right, what else you got for us? Uh, so I was talking about this week on Bet the Process. We have Kevin Clark on our show, who um, formerly of The Ringer and um, now of ESPN in Omaha. And he kind of talked about what really funnels or what really dictates who wins in the modern NFL, and that's offensive lines and defensive lines. And I'm going to take Detroit minus the three because they still have a great offensive line over Atlanta. Um, I think this is a game where Detroit will um, win this game, and obviously three points is if you win, you're probably going to cover the point spread. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Tennessee plus the three and a half over Cleveland. Um, I know that you are not a Deshaun Watson fan. No, I'm not. Ultimately, watching that Monday night game, it was a very interesting game on Monday night, right? That neither team did anything offensively, and um, you know Deshaun did enough to uh, help the Steelers to win. And I, I think this is like a low-scoring game that getting three and a half with the variable team will—that's um, the right side. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a Deshaun one. I'm not at all. And now when you have no Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson has to do everything by himself. Okay, what else you got? I'm going to take Seattle minus this. What do you guys have on Seattle? Is it six, six and a half? 
Uh, I've got it at six. Seattle giving six to the Panthers. Yeah, I'm going to take Seattle minus six. What's interesting about this game is they announced Bryce Young wasn't going to play, yeah. and the the line didn't move at all. This shows you the the difference in what they think is going to happen. But I think Seattle, like we said last week, we we had them last week. Um, sort of underrated team still um, was a good team last year in the NFC, and I think minus the six over Carolina is good value. Geno Smith turned his career around. Turned it around. Yeah, it really did. Okay. Well, it helps when you have. You know, DK Metcalf yep. and Tyler Lockett. And, yep. I mean, that, that makes you a much better quarterback. Right. And I know this is a game that you guys have been talking about a lot. It's this sort of fishy line, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to take Tampa plus the, uh, what do you have, four and a half, five over Philly? Uh, Philly giving five, yes. You're going to yeah, take Tampa? Tampa. Yeah, Philly giving five, yes. I'm going to wow. take Tampa plus wow. the five over Philly. Um, wow. You know, Tampa still has a lot of talent. They have some uh, great Game changers on the defensive side. And this is like the Baker Mayfield redemption season. Like, if yeah. he really is better than, you know, we thought he was, or this is his, his big chance to, like, have his Geno Smith year, he's still got great weapons to throw to him, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, and whatnot. And, again, they, they have a lot of talent still on the defensive out of the ball, so I'm going to take Tampa Bay plus. The I would love if that happens. I'd tell Will. Wilbon would go crazy. His head would explode. His head would explode. He hates Baker Mayfield so much. Hates him. So it's, that would be really good. He ought to hate his own quarterback. He ought to hate Justin Fields more than he hates Baker Mayfield. Right, is there any? That's yeah. it. You're going to do five. You always do five, right? You were three and two yeah, last we week. You do five. All right, and bet the process can be heard, right? Yeah, it can be heard everywhere. We like as I said, we had Kevin Clark on. He told the a great story. So, you know analytics, right? You know how people hate analytics. Well, Wilbon does. Yes. Totally hates analytics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we, he told this great story, and I'm going to ask you whether this is analytics or not, but they actually talk about player tracking software these days, so they, they know kind of like where players are on the field. And he talked about um, defensive and offensive linemen, specifically defensive linemen, they don't run very much during the course of the game. And so what do you think the most running they do is? Well, the most running they do is from the field when they're substituting off to the bench. And so he talked about a coach that realized this and started running a lot of his plays with runs towards his own bench, especially (laughs) on second down when they know that there's going to be a lot of substitutions and would wear teams out with this idea of running to his own bench because it would mean that when they substitute, they'd have to run further across the field. Is that an analytics or not? That's just funny and sadistic. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that's analytics. I think that's cool. I think that's good. Thank yeah, well, you, it's Jeff. Definitely analytics to me. So thanks, Jeff. <laughs> okay, Jeff Ma, boys and girls, and and listen to Bet the Process. We will take a break, and we will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag, got your email faxes and notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. Hey Tony! Come on, come on! Hey Tony! Read that mail now, baby. I'd love to meet that woman. I mean, she's got the greatest voice I've ever heard. She really does. And she's just wonderful. Yes, they are wonderful. That's Hot Pink Hangover. I don't know that they're together again. No, they, they had a one shot. No, the, we're waiting for the Hell Freezes Over tour. Yeah. Like the Eagles. Wow. 
Yeah. You want to do the Bethesda bagel there? They sent us a couple of hot bagels. That's good. Yes, yes. We're always excited to have hot bagels. Uh, Bethesda bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the uh, D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That's going to do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, hate New York City. It's cold and it's damp. And all the people dress like monkeys. Let's leave Chicago to the Eskimos. That town's a little bit too rugged for you and me. And then we get into the real song. Rolling down Imperial Highway. Big nasty redhead at my side. Santa Ana winds blowing hot from the north. And we was born to ride. This is, I love L.A. That's Randy Newman. As a result of this song, I, I asked Alexa last night to just play Randy Newman's songs. It's a good night. They're so freakish, his songs. They're just so weird. He's just a genius. Yeah. Randy Newman is a genius. Really is. Thanks to our guest today. Crank up the Beach Boys, baby. Don't let it ever stop. <laughs> uh, thanks to our guest today, Jason Lockenfor and Jeff Ma. Thanks to our sponsors today, Game Time, Trade Coffee. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. To get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I haven't read these emails yet, but the top one is so exciting to me. <laughs> it's from Bob Koppel. And it says, Dear Dr. Tony, the stats fully support your view that Dominic Smith stinks. <laughs> with runners in scoring position, Dominic Smith is batting 194 hmm. with an abysmal slugging percentage of 241. By contrast, Joey Manessas is batting 365 with a slugging percentage of 500. That's why Manessas has 86 RBI this year. Dom Smith has 44. Both bat in the middle of the order and they have a comparable number of plate appearances. Sorry I couldn't make this funny. It's just sad. <laughs> Bob Koppel. That's funny. Massapequa High School, 1975. That's on Long Island. Cornell, 1979 from Potomac. There's another one from Don Hammock. I really should be charging you for this because since Dom Smith has hit 10 whole home runs, this has taken hours and hours. But since you asked if he had any home runs to tie or take the lead, here's the research. April 29th, solo home run in the bottom of the ninth with the Nats trailing 16 nothing. June 10th, two-run homer in the top of the sixth with the Nats trailing the Braves 4-2. So, okay, so that's a tying home run. June 26th, solo home run in the top of the second in a 1-1 game against the Mariners. Mariners won that game, but okay, so he, he goes to the lead in that. July 1, solo home run top of the second of a scoreless game against the Phillies. Okay, that gives him the lead. Phillies win the game 19-4. July 9th, solo home run in the bottom of the fifth of a scoreless game against the Rangers. Okay, so that's three he's done. August 23rd, solo home run in the top of the ninth with the Nats down 9-0. September 2nd, solo home run in the bottom of the fifth with the Marlins leading 9-1. September 11th, solo home run. You see a pattern here, solo home runs. In the top of the sixth with the Nats leading 4-1. September 13th, two-run homer in the top of the sixth with the Pirates leading 7-3. No. September 18th, solo homer on the bottom of the ninth with the White Sox leading 6-0. Three times, Mr. Smith has hit home runs to break ties, but none none came later than the fifth. Eight of his ten home runs were solo shots. The other two were two-run homers. That's not surprising because he hasn't had more than two RBI in a game all season. Three of his homers have come in the ninth inning of games. The Nats trail by six or more runs. That's Don Hammock. Uh, Chuck and Roxy episode 68, <laughs> Biloxi, Mississippi. Did I hear that right? He hasn't had more than two RBI in a game, any game this season. Well, that seems to be it. Joe Farrell. Love Joe Farrell. Love Joe. 
Mr. Irrelevant homers to make it 9-1. To paraphrase, to paraphrase Chief Brody, you're going to need a bigger email inbox. <laughs> From Alex Taneo in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Now we have the king of game six and the king of garbage time home runs. From Kevin Maroney. Where's Kevin Maroney from? This is long. Doesn't say. Doesn't say where he's from. Okay. First, my TK bona fides. I grew up on Long Island. I'm a graduate of Walt Whitman High School, a proud alma mater of Adam Ferrari. He's a few years younger than I am. We did not cross paths. I've been a fan of yours for as long as you've had fans, but Wednesday was the first time you ventured into my area of professional expertise. You complained quite correctly about nonprofits who send out merchandise to acknowledge monetary contributions, or even worse, to prompt additional gifts from donors. The short answer as to why is that this technique tends to work in the near term. If you want a boost response, it can be effective to send out trinkets, merch, and other junk, as Wilbon would say. However, my issue with the strategy is it tends not to have anything to do with the primary purpose of the nonprofit organization. It is really not a sustainable fundraising activity, and I refuse to do it. My professional long and winding road led me to the Shenandoah Valley, where I am director of development for the local affiliate of Habitat for Humanity. I can promise we send nothing in response to a contributor, aside from sincere thanks. We use funds to build houses and help, that's what Jimmy Carter did, and help local working folks buy those homes. If you or anyone else would like to make a donation, there's a link in the signature box below. In return for any gift, you'll get a big box of nothing, not even the box. I will happily send a handwritten note of acknowledgement and thanks. Thanks to you and the crew for providing hours of fun and entertainment. My wife prefer, refers to you as Tony Cornhusker, but we're working with her to bring her around. The fact that she refers to you at all is a pretty strong endorsement. From uh, Scott McCourtney of Laguna Niguel, I'm a 42-year-old West Coast Subaru driver hmm. who enjoys a good rotisserie chicken from Pavilions, owned by Vons and the Safeway supermarkets, and a good bagel, but I never get time out to play golf. I did get the socks, too, and enough free calendars to put on every wall of our three-bedroom house. <laughs> socks in the mail. Yeah. Scotty Baker, unofficial Egyptian archaeologist of the Tony Kornheiser Show in Berrien Springs, Michigan. It is, in fact, a rule that if you name a chicken, you cannot eat a chicken. Thank you. That chicken. My wife grew up on a farm with goats, sheeps, and chickens. The chickens were free-range. One particular chick was very friendly. When the kids came home from school every day, this chick would go out to meet them. They named it Chick Chick. Over time, the chick grew but remained friendly. Then came the time when the family joined other families on a vacation. Traveling in caravan fashion at lunchtime, they all stopped and found places to picnic and eat lunch. My wife and her brothers and sisters were thrilled that their mother had cooked chicken. Uh I know where this is going. Uh However, at that time, they didn't have many chickens. There had been festivals and events over the holidays where most of the chickens had been eaten. The kids inquired where mother got the chicken. She then revealed the fact it was indeed Chick Chick. Ugh. The chicken was so friendly, she explained, that she was afraid it would wander into a neighbor's yard and be eaten before they got back home. The children were distraught. She was forced to trade their lunch to another family for their lunch. After all, if you name a chicken, you cannot eat that chicken. Yes. From Papa Thiam in Paris, in France, not Virginia. Who decided that we don't eat roosters? I know it would be unfair to ask you to know what a chapon, C-H-A-P-O-N, is. Um... That's not Capon, right? I know what Capon is. Yeah, I don't think it's Capon. But I find it hard Mm. to believe that someone who attends state dinners at the White House and plays golf with presidents has never heard of Coco Van. I have heard of Coco Van. Of course I have. Is it made with Any decent traditional French restaurant in D.C. or New York City should have that on the menu. Winston the Rooster would be delicious in a wine (laughs) sauce over a bed of rice. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that Coco Van was... I didn't know that was a rooster. Steve Gilmore, San Angelo, Texas. Let me get this straight. With your first round draft pick of Gatorade flavors, you went with orange... You just drafted the Sam Bowie of flavors when grape, the Jordan of Gatorade, was just sitting there, sad. 
from PJ in Chicago. Orange Gatorade is the only Gatorade, or as our junior high basketball coach would call it, the hooch. Uh, from, wow, this is a message for John Morgan. And it says, love, Chuck and Roxy. Could you please tell loyal little John Morgan that far more in-depth coverage of the official Survivor contestant of the Tony Kornheiser show to please listen to episode 200 of the Loyal Littles podcast? It was truly a great celebration of 200 episodes with a fabulous guest. I mean, it's no Greg Garcia, but Mr. Devin or Devin's life story is fascinating. Greg will always be, however, our episode number zero. From John Stadola, who's written us many times, Notre Dame class of 1965. Oh, of 69, Gonzaga, 65. Pumpkin spice products have invaded the local stores. Run for your life. I hate pumpkin in everything except pumpkin pie. And he sends pictures of pumpkin spice Toll House cookies and pumpkin spice buttered spread. Philadelphia cream cheese with pumpkin spice. That's repulsive. Yes. Pumpkin spice latte. I, I, against my better judgment, I got pumpkin spice flavored yogurt. I do not know why I bought it. I have not tried Michael, it Michael, do you like pumpkin spice? No. Well, how did you think that was going to be a good idea? I don't know what was say. It was an impulse, and I don't know where the impulse came Never from. Never shop when you're hungry. <laughs> I know. I will report back. From Will in Mumbai. Did you see where Tiger Woods and Justin Timberlake are opening a restaurant, an entertainment center in oh, Manhattan yeah. called T-Squared Social? Didn't you want to join in also? Could have called it T-Cube Chatter. <laughs> uh, Dylan Dilatori. It's been a while since I last wrote. I tried to help Tony the last time he was trying to win a Safeway Monopoly game, which is obviously rigged. <laughs> I sent a bunch of those Monopoly squares from the central coast of California from a little town called San Luis Obispo, where I grew up. I've since moved to Denver to go back to school. I'm a grad student at the University of Denver studying sports and performance psychology. On the first week of classes, we were introducing ourselves to the rest of the cohort when someone said they'd finished their undergrad at Binghamton. My ears immediately perked up, and I shouted, hey, I know that school. Rambling on, I said, your mascot's the Bearcats, and your biggest rival those jerks from Stony Brook. <laughs> also, Sam Sessoms was a star basketball player a few guys a few years ago. <laughs> Pleasantly surprised, the gentleman asked, are you from upstate New York? I sheepishly said, no, never been to New York State. Bewildered, he said, so how do you know so much about Binghamton? To which I slyly replied. I listened to a podcast by an old bald orange man who's an alumni and got a PhD from Binghamton, Tony Kornheiser. The room went silent, and after an awkward pause, they moved on to the next student. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. I had to share this with the show. It's wonderful. Uh, from Nathy, from Ipsy. What is Ipsy? Ipsy. Is that Ypsilanti? Yeah. It just says Ipsy. Maybe it's, yeah. Lived 10 years in Georgia, has a brother-in-law in Arkansas. Um, pecan. Stress on the first syllable and a bit nasally on the second. Pecan. Pie. Said as an afterthought. And pecan is the most important part of the phrase. Sure. From Ted Gregory, who's the senior advisor to the Columbia Alumni Association on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Columbia. It's where Dean Kelleher goes and plays soccer. Oh, really? It's wonderful. It's, well, it's where Lou Gehrig Ted went. Gregory said, I got a bill from Optum RX Online Pharmacy for a little over $100. The bill does not mention a specific product, so I called the number on the back of the bill to inquire. That was my first mistake. <laughs> I got the initial artificial lack of intelligence and have to scream at it three times to get a real person. That was my second mistake. I asked the real person for what product am I being billed, and her reply was, she can't discuss it with me. It hasn't been processed in, her, in their system. What? Your system processed the bill but can't identify the product? <laughs> what? On another note, you have former classmates of mine on your show from time to time, Abby David Lowell, Esquire. We're both members of Columbia University, class of 1974, and in the same not-so-secret honor society of Nacombs. He was a star even then. 
love your show. You can't if you get if you get a bill, they have they have to tell you what it's come for. Come on, man. they can't just say pay this. We'll tell you later. From Claire Natola, now in Ohio, she says, when you started to introduce the song by Ronnie Cox, I said aloud to no one in particular, not that Ronnie Cox, only to find out it <laughs> is that Ronnie Cox. Touche. <laughs> That's really good. From Michael Sandler in Warrington, uh, Virginia. It's too bad Michael's been out of the studio lately because he would have had the obvious proof at his fingertips, being the father of three small children. I'm talking about the Disney classic, The Fox and the Hound. I watched it many times, raising my own children and recently with my grandson. The plot goes like this. The fox and the hound are friendly when they're pups because the hound instinctively knows that the fox is just another dog. When they get older, the hound is convinced by his grouchy old Kornheiser-like owner that the fox is in fact a cat. And that leads to chasing, biting, and other violence. Finally, at the end, the hound remembers that, oh yeah, that's not a cat. And they get to be buddies again. Great life lessons. There we go. know that. My kids are afraid to watch movies. Why? Watch I, any I don't know what happened. They're afraid to watch movies. It makes the holidays very difficult at a <laughs> kindergarten first grade. <laughs> wow. Mark Graff. Greetings from the generally sleepy and mundane mountain time zone. Indeed, we have lots of mountains, cows, and sheep in here in the Mountain West. But I have some exciting news to share about a once-in-a-lifetime event happening here in Utah this weekend. This Sunday, September 24th. Is that Sunday? Yes. A NASA spacecraft called OSIRIS-REx will land in Utah. After a seven-year mission in space, the spacecraft launched several years ago, landed on an asteroid named Bennu, drilled into the asteroid to collect samples of what it's made of, took off again. How do they do this? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't fill my car. <laughs> took off again. It's making its way back to Earth. OSIRIS-REx lands this Sunday morning, and a live broadcast of the craft's landing will be available on NASA's TV channel and social media sites. This broadcast will be made possible by my Air Force Squadron, none other than the second audiovisual squadron. Can we be the official Air Force Squadron of the TK Show? Of course. Absolutely. Sure. It says, um, P.S., tell Gary Braun to come visit. I think his production company in my unit may have some things in common. From Stephen in Los Angeles. If there was a study about studies being stupid, how study, <laughs> how stupid would that study be? Cheese free. This is Wilbon's position. Yes, it's a junk. It's an insane position by Wilbon. Greg Heileman, in the extensive 2011 article, The Greatest pe- Paper That Ever Died, you mentioned the last paragraph that you have a national box in your basement. Yes, I do. I think that you and I may be one of the few in the same boat, probably both with crazy stories that go along with it. I've shared my story with a small circle of friends. It's pretty hilarious. I'm curious what your story is, was. The National Sports Daily was such a great part of Americana for a short period of time. My story is simple. Norman Chad and Vinnie Perone stole the box. <laughs> and I said, give me the box. And they said, sure. And that's, that's a simple story. And it's in my house. It's on display. The last issue yes. is in the opening of the box. 75 cents. And Robert's from great Denver paper. in the Mountain Time Zone. Dear Tony, move. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, time, everybody, as always, do wear white. Can I raise a practical question at this point? Sure. Are going to do Stonehenge tomorrow? No. No, we're not going to do Stonehenge. <laughs>